You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the hope that is ours in Jesus. It's not a dead hope. It's not an empty hope. It's a certain, secure and living hope. We thank you that Jesus accomplished that hope for us in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. We can now, by faith in Jesus, stand alive in that hope. So we thank you, Lord. And we ask that now as we open your word, you'd meet us with your Holy Spirit, that we'd be a people who would see Jesus and the significance of this life that we have. Be at work, we pray, for our good, the good of this city, and indeed the glory of your Son, in whose name we pray, and all of God's people said with one super loud voice, Amen. Amen, amen, city on a hill, you may take a seat. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Ben. Who's enjoying the long weekend? Come on, it's good to be in Melbourne. Good to see the sun is out. Moomba's happening. Great to be with you guys. Today, uh, we are continuing in our series in First Peter, and we're considering what God says to us about marriage. Uh, I, I met my wife um, in the summer of 1997. 
Yeah, summer, it's like, that's it, the summer of 1997. Uh, I'd finished uh, year 12, I'd just got my driver's license, uh, and a friend of mine uh, who had this like two-story house with a pool got news that her parents were going to be away for the weekend, which for a bunch of 18-year-old Christian guys and girls can mean one thing and one thing only, board games. So here I am with 20 other Christians all in this family room playing a wild game of Jenga, right? Who, who remembers Jenga? I mean, it's still going around, presumably, right? It's this like tower of blocks and you take it in turns and you got to remove a block and if the tower stands, you continue. If it falls, you're out. So here we are and one by one, people are being eliminated and until there are just two people left, myself and a young beautiful woman with a beautiful smile named Vanessa. Here we are. And, and, and I looked at her and, this, and she kicks back her hair and I look at her. <laughs> and in that moment, I, I think to myself, wow, I'm going to destroy her. <laughs> the tower came down. As God's problem would have it, it came down on my turn. She won, but a relationship was born. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No mood lighting, no rose ceremony, no Michael Buble paying in the background. Just me and a girl with exceptional Jenga skills. We started to hang out, uh, went to movies, uh, went out to dinner, graduated from childish games like Jenga to Settlers of Catan and Hungry Hungry Hippos. Uh, Four years after we were dating, we were best mates, saved up my pennies and bought a ring. Uh, I took her out to see, it was opening night in the city uh, for Mamma Mia, which is a musical uh, all about marriage. We then went to dinner somewhere in the Rialto. uh, And then I surprised her uh, by taking her to the church that we were attending. It was two o'clock in the morning, right? The whole place is pitch dark, but I'd set up, thanks to the caretaker, uh, a picnic rug by the like stained glass windows and candles and chocolate and all these kinds of things. And I whipped out my guitar because I'd written a song for her, which I used to propose, which, you know, maybe kind of sounds a little romantic. Only thing was, is that as this was going down, a bunch of drunk teenagers had made their way into the back of the church. I didn't know they were there until the moment I said, would you marry me? And they all like, yeah, come on, come on, come on. (laughs) They stumbled forward at that moment, congratulating us, totally awkward. But thankfully, she said yes. Uh, And uh, we were married on Friday, the 21st of June. Some of you know that's the shortest calendar day in the year, the coldest, uh, which is also the cheapest if you're looking to have a wedding on that day. So fun fact, if you're a uni student wanting to get married early. Uh, Here's a picture from our wedding day together. (laughs) Oh, this year, by God's grace, we get to celebrate 20 years of marriage together. Yeah, that's it. That's a clap moment. As I'm sure you would know, uh, and anyone here who's married would know, you know, that 20 years has had many great mountaintop moments, but also plenty of walks through the valley. Uh, We've all got our stories to share. Uh, We can all learn from each other when it comes to this topic. And I'm thankful that uh, this morning we get an opportunity to open up God's Word. And and I really do pray and and hope that, you know, whether you're someone here who's who's not married, but just keen to support some friends who are, uh, whether you're looking to one day get married or perhaps 
you're in the adventure of marriage right now, that this might be a means of grace to you, uh, be a message of hope, faith, and love. Uh, so in light of that, come with me to First Peter chapter 3 uh, in your Bible. You ready for this? All right, three people are ready. That's a good start. Uh, beginning in verse 1, Peter says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your husbands. All right. So in the past few weeks, uh, you'll know that Peter has been unpacking for us how our identity in Jesus now shapes the way that we relate to uh, uh, structures of order and authority that exist in our life. So for example, back at chapter 2, we discovered that Christians are to be subject to every human institution, where governor or human authority... Then last week, Ben uh, from the pulpit unpacked for us about what this looks like when it comes to a servant and a master. And we saw that whether you know, you're, you're a nurse in a, in a hospital or a student in a university or an employee in a, in a company, uh, you are to be subject to them. Here in chapter 3, Peter is continuing in that same line of argument when it comes to marriage, right? Starting with the wives, they likewise, are to be subject to their husbands. Now, importantly, this word likewise is the Greek word homoios, uh, which means in a similar way, right? Peter could have used a different word, which is the word uh, kathos, which means in the same way, but he didn't use that word. In other words, he's not calling women to relate to husbands in the same way that a civilian does an emperor or a servant their master, Right? They are similar, but they're definitely not the same. That being said, there is an order in marriage that Peter wants Christian wives and their husbands to observe. Now, I am sure you, like me, would agree that words like subject and submit uh, can trigger all kinds of negative emotions and responses. Right? I highly doubt, if you're, you're married here, that you chose 1 Peter 3 as your wedding passage. Right? Probably not embroidered on a quilt at home. And perhaps that's because we've heard people twist these words and, and use them for their own gain. Uh, so before unpacking what this does mean, could we just consider for just a moment what this doesn't mean? For example... The call to be subject doesn't mean men can throw their weight around in a relationship and have their way. It doesn't mean that only men go to work while the women stay home and look after the kids. The call to be subject doesn't mean that the husband always knows what is best or that the wife is inferior or less competent in any way. And of course, the call to be subject doesn't mean that a husband won't pursue his wife and seek out her knowledge, her wisdom, and indeed what is for her best. Right? So Vanessa and I, that's my wife, have always understood our relationship as a co-partnering in marriage, where I, in the grace of God, M, serve, have a primary responsibility as the spiritual head in the home, 
but I'm always going to be at my best when I am listening to my wife, seeking out her wisdom and trying to understand how I can serve her and our best. Right, And this plays out all the time in the home, but perhaps one of the more, uh, well, the bigger topics that we, we certainly journeyed through was the question of children. Um, uh, after our third child was born, Vanessa was quite adamant that she wanted one more. She wanted, really wanted four kids. Comes from a big family, always wanted to have a lot of kids. Uh, and she thought four would be amazing. I had just one brother, right? Small home uh, and never imagined having lots and lots of kids. Only ever conceived in my mind that we'd only have two kids. The idea of four, just between you and me, the idea of four, <laughs> the idea of four kids to me sounded ludicrous, nuts. You can't drive a normal car anymore. Um, you have to split all your time and energy four ways. Uh, you're broke all the time, right? You're outnumbered. I mean, on and on I could go. There are a lot of reasons not to have four kids, and yet here's Vanessa saying, I want four kids. And so we would talk about it and share wisdom together, and she would lovingly ask, and I knew it was serious for her because at the end of every conversation, she would end it like this. She'd say, Guy, I think you should pray about this. Right? You know it's serious when someone says, I think you should pray about it. Right? I'm like, pray about it? No, I already know what I want to do. Well, sure enough, we have four kids. <laughs> uh, did I play a part as the husband? Yes. Uh, but was this part of my original vision? No. And yet now I'm incredibly, incredibly thankful for the persistence and prayers of my wife. I can't imagine doing life without these four munchkins around. And this is what makes marriage a joyful struggle. A husband and wife working together for good. So if, if subject, being subject is not a man always calling the shots and getting his way, then, well, then you ask the question, well, what is it then? Well, consider how the Apostle Paul puts this. Very similar language. He says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And then please note what he says next. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Right, so this is remarkable. When it comes to a Christian husband and wife, when it comes to a Christian marriage, marriage is not primarily and ultimately about their happiness. Marriage is not ultimately primarily about, you know, keeping a family tradition or even, you know, raising children. It's all of those things, but much, much more. According to God's word, marriage is a living drama of Christ and his bride, the church. Let me say that again. Marriage is a living drama of Christ and his bride, the church. And so the husband is to relate to the bride and the bride is to so relate to her husband in such a way that we all get a window into the good news of the gospel. And so what does that mean then for a wife to be subject? Well, Peter unpacks this, doesn't he, in very practical terms. 
For example, he talks about the importance of respect and purity. He says, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So pure conduct speaks of your moral and your spiritual walk, that by Uh, that before your husband and your God, you demonstrate submission by saying no to sin and yes to Jesus. You are faithful. You keep your promises. Uh, It doesn't mean you're perfect, but there's an integrity and authenticity to your life and to your faith. Likewise, Peter says, you're working hard to be respectful. I want to underscore that because I think this is where many relationships can be undone. Uh, There's a great book on marriage, and I highly commend it to you, uh, by Dr. John Gottman. And he's he's worked with uh, hundreds and hundreds of couples, uh, and his book uh, really kind of looks at what brings relationships down. And and in the books, you know, he talks about the four horsemen of the apocalypse when it comes to marriage. All right, and as part of that, he unpacks the issue of defensiveness, the issue of criticism, the issue of stonewalling. But according to his research, do you know the number one predictor of divorce? Contempt. Contempt. Contempt is the eye roll at the dinner table when the husband shares his opinion. Contempt is the sarcastic comment in front of his mates that makes him feel small or insignificant. Contempt is the look of disdain and disgust when the husband doesn't meet up to the wife's expectations or comparisons. What is the antidote then of contempt? It is to cultivate a culture of appreciation. Culture of appreciation, encouragement. Right? Now, now, you might look at your husband and see a million and one faults, but rather than being the person who's always reminding him of what he perhaps already knows, you work hard to identify the value you see, the significance you see, the things he is doing well, the way he is serving well, right? the things that make him feel special. You would talk those into being. Right? That's, that's one way we can show respect, by declaring what we see in another and encouraging them in that. Right? Because what you celebrate, you create. So speak life into him. And that could be seen in so many different ways, couldn't it? You know, the way he gets up in the morning perhaps and prays. His, his, his commitment to open the Bible, uh, uh, his, his courage in, in working hard and, and trying to, you know, to get a job done, his attempts to serve in the home and to help out, like whatever it is, it could be many, many different things, but whatever you see, you want to declare that and celebrate that. And in saying that, I, I don't think what Peter is saying here is that marriage should be for the, the husband, you know, rose petals and pats on the back all the time, right? You want to be uh, encouraging in marriage, but equally respect for me, and I'm sure many men here, is also a, a wife who is willing to speak the truth and sometimes work as a force of challenge and correction. That they love you enough that, that they will... Call out what is bad and call forth what is good. Really, really important, right? If I can just share 
a little of my own story slash failing slash failure just for a moment. Um, a few years ago, my mum, I was raised by my mum, her health was deteriorating and, and quite quickly and suddenly and unexpectedly. And uh, she, she, she had trouble um, uh, finding words, uh, had trouble um, piecing complex sentences together, had trouble understanding and later diagnosed with uh, dementia which is this crippling disease which kind of robs you of your, your memory and your mind. Um, and Vanessa, my wife, was seeing this, right? She was picking it up. She was, she was, she was recognizing that. And, and I was like, just not. And, and, and Vanessa, you know, said, Guy, you know, you, she needs you. You know, she lives by herself. She needs you. She needs her son. She needs your help. She needs you to be involved in her life. And like a lot of dudes today, I was way too immersed in my work and ministry and, and kids. And like, I was just like, it, it just took me a, too long to realize that. And yet there she was lovingly, respectfully, patiently seeking to, to correct me. And, and, and by God's grace, I, God spoke to me in that, you know, and I could start to see that actually I was being selfish you know, I spent so much time wrestling with that, like pointing my finger at other people, wishing they would have helped or do something. But in the end, I realized that I had a responsibility. In fact, I started seeing myself kind of like at the end of my days, looking back on my life, seeing this gospel preacher with this large, thriving, growing church who wasn't there for his own mom. And, and it cut to the heart. And I resolved to change there and then. And so now I'm like, my mum's very much part of my life and I'm very much part of her life. You know, my wife and I together, we did a lot of hard work trying to set her up and support her and go along to doctor's appointments and navigate the labyrinth that is Centrelink. Oh, so complex. You know, and I, I, I love spending time with my mum. Just the other day, I dropped around, surprised her with like a happy meal. And because of her dementia, she forgets everything. She doesn't know she's ever seen a Happy Meal before. And she's like, what's this? I'm like, oh, just try it. She eats the cheese. She's like, wow, what's this? is amazing. I'm like, yeah, it's McDonald's. <laughs> I thank my wife for that. I thank my wife that she loved me so much that she would speak the truth. If you're a woman here, your voice matters. Your challenge, your courage matters. And that's one beautiful way to respect the man that God has placed in your life. Look then to verse 3. Peter talks about beauty. He says, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is God's sight, which in God's sight is very precious. I mean, the pressure that exists upon women, not just women, but the pressure that exists on women today to build their identity based on what they look and how they present in a news feed is just ridiculous. As a father with two daughters, one who's right in the world of teenage life and another younger one, I'm, the, I'm just, wow. And it's always been like that, but it feels now that the level of comparison and competition is out of this world. And Peter is wanting to challenge us, isn't he? 
Right? I mean, this is written like 2,000 years ago, but how relevant to open up TikTok or Instagram and say, hey, women, True beauty is is so much more than this. Now, he's not saying women can't or men can't wear nice clothes or wear makeup or adorn themselves. Like, that's fine. But the gospel calls forth and encourages us to see something far richer, far deeper. Man looks on the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. And notice how he unpacks this again in really, really practical ways. Peter unpacks an inner beauty when he talks about a woman who is marked by a gentle and and quiet spirit. You might wince at that a little bit, but recognize that this is actually used elsewhere in the Bible. And you know, whenever it's used in the Bible, it's used to describe one person, one person only. You know who that is? Jesus. Jesus himself. Matthew 11, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Women, your model of beauty is not Kim Kardashian. It's Jesus. It's Jesus, the the lion of Judah, who roars with courage and strength. And he's so tender and humble and loving and kind. He's never pushing people away. He's not judging and looking down. And no, he's he's Jesus. (laughs) Compassionate and kind, loving and joyful, abounding in hope. That's beauty. You know, when I think of beauty, I think of my best mate's sister. Her name's Joss. I was a young punk. She used to take me to church. She'd pick me up in her car. She'd go out of her way to pick me up so I could go to church. She'd take me along to prayer meetings, Bible studies. She'd stay on the phone all night as I asked stupid questions, and she was patient, discipling me in what the Bible says. I think of a woman uh, at a church when I was serving as a youth pastor. She was an older woman, uh, and she would meet me every Friday at 7 a.m. for an hour of prayer. Now, when you're in early 20s, getting up at seven is just not a thing you do. And yet there she was, leading by example, teaching me about the man I could be, praying with me, modeling what it actually means to be a spiritual warrior. Incredible. That's beauty. I think of the women on our staff team here at City on a Hill. Incredible women. Alice, Steph, Emily, Britt, Deb, Casey, Haley, Georgina. Powerhouses for the gospel. Women laying down so much to serve and honor Jesus. When I think about beauty, I think of my wife. Could you imagine putting up with this for 20 years? <laughs> and she's patient and she's kind and she's courageous And she's creative, she's industrious, she's beautiful. And if I could just lean for just a moment to the men here today, and particularly those of us who who are single and perhaps thinking about someone to date, maybe you're looking for Mrs. Wright. Look, the world is going to send you to Tinder. The world is going to send you to Tinder and to look for eyeshadow and breast implants and duck lips. Nothing wrong with physical appearance. But if you're going to journey together, build a life together, raise kids together, work together, do ministry together, fight together, vomit and spew together, 
You want a woman who's alive in Jesus. You want a woman who wakes up every day knowing her identity in Christ. You want a woman who prays big prayers, lives a bold, adventurous life. You want a woman who will affirm you, encourage you, challenge you, correct you, and call forth your best. You want a woman who's going to lift your eyes again and again and again and again to Jesus. Because that's beauty. That's what you want in your life. And if you're a single guy in this room, scratching your head, say, well, where might I find a woman like that? Welcome to City on a Hill. Right, this, I kid you not, this church is teeming with beautiful, bold, brave women who love Jesus. Right, I, I know it, women can be intimidating. I know crossing the dance floor at pause and sip downstairs can be challenging. <laughs> be brave. Ask someone out for coffee. Get a group of people together, go see a movie, go see a play, go to Moomba. <laughs> Better yet, organize a party at someone's house and play Jenga. Right? Whoever's left at the end, they're married. Done. <laughs> Look then to verse 7. Peter says, turning now to the men. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. We'll come to that. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. All right, men, are you married? Are you looking to be married? Your life and relationship with your bride is to be marked by understanding, grace, and honor. Now, this word understanding speaks of knowledge. In other words, Peter is saying that, that you need to be a student of your wife. You need to know her. Right? Women don't want to be known generally. They want to be known personally. You need a PhD in your wife. I've met guys who uh, could tell you every player in their sports team, how many goals they kicked, how many behinds they've kicked, whether they prefer their left boot or their right boot. They know all the stats and details, but know very little about their own wife. You need to know her. You need to ask good questions. Tell me about your upbringing. I'm so curious to hear about your story. What made you? What were some of the formative moments in your life? What were some of the expectations that you felt as a young kid that you still wrestle with today? Tell me about your faith now. I know you gave your life to Jesus like 10 years ago, but where is it at now? And what are you wrestling with? What are the parts of the Bible that you struggle with? What are the parts that you really, really are going after? Tell me about your, your fears and how are they expressed and what challenges them and what triggers those fears. Tell me about your hopes and your dreams. Where have you seen gifts in your life being encouraged and used? And how do you want to use those gifts going forward? What do you think making a difference looks like? Like, this is where I encourage couples. And if you're not doing I mean, this, like, please. This, practically, one of the things Vanessa and I have done since we were married was have a weekly uh, habit of date nights. 
Once a week, date night, get together. We don't always have it. There have been times where it's forgotten and missed, but once a week where we put the tools down and we come together because life in marriage can often be like this. Side by side is you know, looking after kids, doing ministry, going through life. Side by side, you must, must, must pursue moments like this. Really, really important. If that's not happening in your life right now, let me encourage you to make a change and, and build that in right now. You need to live with your wife in an understanding way. And in addition, Peter says, you need to recognize that she's an heir of the grace of God. Right? Like you, she belongs to Jesus. Like you, she's pursuing Jesus, loving Jesus, and you were there cheering her on. Maybe that's a call for you to start praying for your wife. If you're not praying for your wife, start praying for her. Even if you're not married, start praying for her. Maybe this means that you will check in with her this week and ask her a bit about her faith and how she's going and how you might be able to encourage her. Maybe this might mean that you'll take time to write out all that you can see and affirm in her. Because you know that she struggles with identity. You know that she's wrestling in this world. And so you're going to take time to declare the promises of God's word to her and what you see in her. Maybe practically you're going to look after the kids so that she can go out and spend time with other Christian friends and read the Bible. I mean, on and on this can go. What's important, man, is you don't just think about these things, that you do these things. You are there recognizing, understanding her and recognize she's an heir of the grace. And so you're constantly looking to cultivate that in her life. And then the third thing, which is kind of what we'll finish with today, that as men, we must strive to honor our wives. So interestingly, Peter says to women, respect your husband. This is a stronger word. He says, husbands, you, you better honor your wife. Right, interestingly, this same word is used elsewhere in the, uh, the, by Peter in the New Testament. And, and almost always it's used for the honor that the church is to give to Jesus. Which just shows you how significant this honor should be. Like, yes, we put Jesus first in our life and marriage and family, of course. But next to Jesus, she's got to be number one. She's got to be treasured. She's got to be honored. All right? Is Peter saying women are perfect? No. He's met women. He knows they're not perfect. But as an overflow of the love and grace we have received from Jesus, so we need to pour ourselves out in honoring our brides. And this is easy to preach. This is easy to talk about in gospel communities. But it's hard to live. Not because our wives aren't worthy of our honor, but because we are hardwired for selfishness and sin. Right? Think back to the very first man, the very first husband in the garden. What does he do when uh, his sin is found out and he hears God walking in the garden? What does he do? He runs and he hides. Hiding from an omniscient God who sees and knows all things is not only stupid and it's sinful. And men, we, we have a proclivity, don't we, to respond in the same way. We can hide from God in our sports. We can hide from God in our careers. We can hide from God in our ministry. We, 
And God loves you too much to leave you in your hiding. He calls out for you as he did for Adam. Where are you? Genesis 3 verse 9. The Lord God called to the man, where are you? And what, is the, what does Adam do in this moment? Look to the very next verse. The Lord, uh, Adam blames his wife. He says, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Right? Adam does what a lot of men have done since he blames his wife. And God won't tolerate that. And so he gives a series of judgments. And one of those judgments pertains to his relationship with Eve. Look at this in verse 16 of Genesis 3. When sin has the upper hand in Eve, she no longer trusts her husband. She desires to control him. Likewise, when sin has the upper hand in Adam, he will no longer serve her with love, for he shall rule over you. Genesis three seventeen. He shall rule over you. Some have interpreted headship in the home to be a result of the fall. But I find that to be a shallow reading because in the Genesis account, you don't see a change of order and responsibility, only that that order and responsibility is now tainted and broken and fractured by sin. God continues to be God. Only in sin, we're banished from the garden. We don't see him, know him as we should. Men and women will continue to have dominion over creation. Only now... Their dominion is marked by thorns and thistles. And while the husband is appointed to serve as the spiritual and sacrificial head, sin disrupts and distorts that order. Instead of serving and honoring his bride, he, when given over to sin, will have a proclivity to rule and try to dominate. Remember the story of Beauty and the Beast? It's about a vain prince whose name is Adam. And Adam uh, is a narcissist who um, thinks only of himself. He's a cruel man. Uh, and this is punctuated when an old lady beggar comes to his castle looking for help. And he rejects her. He scoffs at her. He does it once. He does it twice. The woman's transformed in a moment to this beautiful enchantress. And she puts him under a curse. In fact, the whole castle and all the servants put under a curse. Why? Because they stood by in silence when he was acting in sin. And so he's transformed into this grotesque, violent, aggressive beast. Unfortunately, it's a telling picture of some men today. Men who've been given responsibility to build a better, stronger, more loving world but have mocked women, exploited women, misused, and at times even abused women. I mean, I was floored this week to read that one in six women have experienced physical or sexual violence by a current or former partner. I was horrified to read that on average, one woman is killed every week by a current or former partner. That's not masculinity. That's the mark of the beast. 
And I could spend all day pointing the finger at the beasts out there, but I think the first step for men is to recognize the shadow within. Right? We may not rape and, and murder, but the truth is that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. I have not loved God with all my heart, soul, and strength. I have not always honored and served and encouraged my wife the way I should. I have sinned. I have fallen short. And so for men of the gospel, we must first repent of that. Acknowledge the ways we have fallen short. Acknowledging the hurt we have caused. We name it. We declare it. We recognize the impact that can have in people's lives. And then we take responsibility to step forward into a new life, to put to death the old man, to pursue Jesus and the life and mercy that he has given us. And for Peter, this transformed life, this life of honor, is not just lip service or even acts of, of service, as good as those things are. He really sees this as a posture of protection in a marriage, right? So, so to the men, he says, show honor to your wife as the weaker vessel. Now, I appreciate that we wince and bristle at a term like that. No woman I've ever met uh, would, would like to be known as a weaker vessel. It's just outright offensive. Why? Because we all know women aren't weak. Right? My wife gave birth to four kids. My own mother. Right? She, she was raised in an oppressive, abusive orphanage. She endured years in that place. She then endured years of a dysfunctional marriage, working multiple jobs to put food on the table. She then endured years of uh, difficulty with uh, breast cancer and the treatment that goes with that. And even now, she's enduring years again of trial and challenge, and she's still standing, still fighting. Why? Because she's strong. So I know that Peter, he's not talking about uh, weak-minded or women being weak-willed. He's really just making a biological point here about a woman's physical body. I know there are exceptions but we know that the vast majority of men will be physically stronger than women. Again, there are exceptions, but the vast majority will be stronger. For Rome, they reveled in that strength. They reveled in that kind of physical masculinity and dominance, right? That was their cultural value. And yet Peter says, no, no, no. If you are in Jesus, you must, must, must be different. A man must never use his size or strength to intimidate another woman. He must never use his voice to impose. He must never stand over his wife or raise a fist against his wife. Whether that's physically, verbally, emotionally, financially, or spiritually, he must never use his power over and against the daughter of the living God. And if you find yourself in a relationship where that kind of power is being misused, or you've been in a relationship where power like that has been misused, 
Can I encourage you to do something incredibly brave and take what was hidden and in the dark and bring it to the light? I know that's not easy. I know that takes a huge amount of courage. And I know that it comes at a cost. But it's important because God loves you. God cares for you. God wants honor and honor and grace in your life. And if you don't know how you can bring something like that into the light, let me share with you very practically a few ways. First, you can call 1-800-RESPECT. 1-800-RESPECT is a number. You can confidential. Uh, it's, 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 it's there for you. Uh, it's the kind of national family domestic violence support and counseling service that you can use today. You can also speak to a trusted GP. You can, of course, speak to a local police officer. And, of course, you could speak to any number of the women and men who are on staff here at City on a Hill. Again, I know that that takes a lot of courage. And I know that you are circling through a lot of different thoughts and lies and temptations in that. Can I encourage you to step into the light? Can I encourage you to entrust that burden? Even if you're unsure, how would I define it exactly? Just entrust that with someone. Knowing that God loves you, knowing that it's important for you, it's important for your partner, it's important for your family, it's incredibly important to your God. The point here is that men, husbands, must honour their wives. Anything less than honour is not Christianity. Christianity is not a man standing over his wife. Christianity is Jesus on his knees washing the disciples' feet. Christianity isn't the dominance of Rome. It's Jesus who went to the cross pouring out his life, sweat and blood. I'm sure many of you, like me, have been um, at pains over the escalating violence in Europe. I mean, here is a story of a small, insecure man using his power for evil. But he's not like all men. Men are not all good, but neither are they all bad. Uh, Many men are courageous. Many men are wanting to work for a better world. Many men will rise up to defend, to protect when their time comes. Uh, I was so moved by that early footage of a father and husband in Ukraine. I'm sure you saw this. Saying goodbye to his daughter. Tears in both of their eyes farewelling her and his wife on a train so that she could go to safer ground while he stays back to defend. I think it's any 18-year-old male all the way up to 6-year-old male is called to stay and defend, to use his strength for good, to say no to evil, to push back darkness with light. There's something terribly sad about that and yet also incredibly beautiful and inspiring. 
I, um, I got young boys, two of them myself, and I have no issue with them or my daughters uh, playing in the house with toy guns, Nerf guns. Uh, I have no issue watching uh, SAS on TV with them and talking about the fight and the journey and the struggle. I have no issue with my 12-year-old boy who now spends at least 45 minutes every night doing push-ups, sit-ups, the plank, everything else to build his 12-year-old muscles. Because they know and have been taught by me again and again that with great power comes great responsibility. Do you have muscle? Do you have courage? Do you have strength? Do you have creativity? Do you have knowledge? Do you have power? Use that for good. Harness that for good. Take responsibility for what God has given you and use that as a living sacrifice to his name. Be the man who's prepared to take responsibility. Be the man who's prepared to work in this world for light and love and to give hope. Be the man who's prepared to stay back and defend. Be the man like Jesus who laid down his life. This is the call of biblical masculinity and what it actually means to be a man in marriage. It's not chauvinism. It's called chivalry. And so as the band comes up, I want to leave you with the final word, which really is, for Peter, I think, a mic drop to all the husbands here today. He says this, Show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Wow. You know what this means? It means that if you're a Christian who's not honoring their wife, God isn't hearing your prayers. He's not picking up the call. He's not diving in to bless you, help you, prosper you, further you. Why? He loves his daughters. He loves his daughters. Very few passages in the Bible speak with this kind of warning. Such is the love of God he has for the church. Now, I'm thankful for the hundreds of men that make up City on a Hill. So many that are an inspiration to me, really. So many who serve and are using what God has given them for good. They're generous, they're kind, they're thoughtful, they're courageous, they're sacrificial. Praise God for those men. But for some of you, whether you're joining us online or here today, Man, I hope God's Word meets you head on right now. I hope you know that God's Word is like a two-edged sword and it pierces the heart. I hope you're not the fool who just hears the Word of God and then just lives a different way. You're just building on a shaky foundation. God won't hear your prayers. Here and now. God's Spirit is convicting some men. Here and now, God is calling you to turn it around. God's mercy is anew every day, so it's right there at the foot of the cross for you. But you need to go to the foot of the cross. You need courage right now and humility to say, yes, I've fallen short. To apologize to your wife, to apologize to your girlfriend. 
to apologize to the women in your life that you have not honored the way that Jesus calls you to honor. And to pick up the grace that is yours in Jesus and then to live out of that. And so here's how I'd like us to finish. As we prepare to sing, I want us to have a time of prayer together. One huge prayer meeting. To pray for men, to pray for women, married, single, divorced, it really doesn't matter. It's a prayer for us all. And it needs to begin in repentance. A turning away from what we know is wrong. 1 John 1 says, If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So wherever you are right now, just encourage you to put out your hands like this in a posture of prayer and close your eyes and, and just in your own heart and mind, take a moment to confess to the Lord the things in your life that you know dishonor Him. As we continue in this posture of prayer, I want you to now ask God for the help you need to be the man or woman He's created you to be. And be specific. What is that one thing, that one area of your life that you want to see growth in? What's that one thing, that one area of life where you need to change? Ask God right now for the help to be that man, to be that woman. Lord, you say if we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So right now, thank you. We as a church, thank you for your forgiveness. We as a church, thank you for the grace that Jesus accomplished on our behalf. Help us now to turn from sin, to put to death the old man, the old woman in us, to turn from sin and selfishness and self-righteousness and to pursue Jesus and His righteousness and His grace and His humility and His beauty. We thank You, Lord. We ask that You send us out in Your power and Your strength and Your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.